0: Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California, and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. And a pleasant afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the new Water Zone Show, and I say new because it starts at four instead of five. And I won't go into the details why that happens, but we're at 4 o'clock. And uh, actually, I think it will do good for us because a lot of people who leave their office at 5 uh, and get home, uh, maybe they live uh, pretty close and then they can not hear the rest of the show. So we're happy about doing that. So I'd like to uh, bring Mr. Chris Davey. He's the wonderful best co-host in the world and the smartest guy I know in irrigation. Chris, welcome. Hey, thanks, Rob. Hope you're doing all right out there in in,
1: uh, Arizona. I am um, yeah at the at the offices here in uh, Riverside today because we're on two hours earlier than uh, normal starting with this week's uh, show. actually we started uh, a little while ago couple, last week with it as well, didn't we?
0: Yeah, two weeks actually the last two weeks they played um, previous uh, um, shows only because it yes. was hard for Chris and I to get coordinated to move, to do the physical move to four o'clock. So we had some two older shows were replaced. And uh, from what I hear, everybody liked those, so that was good. But now we move forward, and uh, we're going to have some great shows and great people and everything else. And speaking of great, we have the wonderful lady who is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Chris, welcome.
2: Hey, everybody. How you doing?
0: Good. Hey, Chris. But I'd be lying to you if I told you we made the show an hour earlier so you have time to get dinner ready at a, at a reasonable time, but that's not the truth. So <laughs> well, we, you're
2: we, you're confusing me because you're on that Arizona time, and you no, keep saying no, five, uh, and I'm like, but didn't we do that at six?
0: Yes, we I mean, did. Right. was
2: six. I'm
0: on the same time as you. I'm in the t- same time zone you guys are right now. Yes, okay. so it's two hours, two hours okay.
2: earlier, guys. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyways. Yes, we're all here. We made the move. Yeah. We packed up the boxes and moved two hours earlier.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to the CEO of uh, of the NBC News Radio thing, and, and uh, I got to send him some promos that we got to do so they can play them all through the day and the week and let everybody know that we're at four o'clock now. So we, I got to get that all prepared. and I'll do that this weekend. So, but... Well, you're here, because, uh, Miss Austin, because you're the expert on California water news, and there's lots of stuff happening, lots of people getting upset, uh, the state's using more water than they thought, uh, a whole list of things, and I'll let you lead off with what you think is the top three in the, or five in, in, in the state right now.
2: Well, yeah, there's a bunch of things going on, even right now as we sit here, but uh, yeah, uh Tuesday at the State Water Board and uh, the first water board meeting of the month they always run down the urban water production numbers. Uh all those water suppliers are required to uh report how many how much water they're producing and selling. And <laughs> and as it show as it so happens, uh the water use is uh, not going down up, but up like as much as 19%. Actually, some areas are really high. Uh, like the the highest water supplier, for, up 43% is the city of El Segundo in Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, the state has been out in force this week. Uh, trying to get the message out that we need to save water, and the situation is getting pretty pretty dire, um, you know. And I think the hardest part is, uh, you know, this isn't a situation where uh, if you have money, you you just use more and you just pay more for it, you know. Sometimes I think we're used. Some people are are just used to thinking that way, you know. I'm going to have hamburger at whatever price hamburger is at, uh, and I don't care. I will just pay more. Uh, but there's a real problem with water, in some areas. Uh, in Southern California, the situation is quite dire, and the Los Virginist Municipal Water District in Calabasas, uh, is going to go. And be putting flow restrictors on those customers that don't cut back their water use. Uh, yeah, so, a lot of people, you know, are mad. They they put a lot of money into their landscaping, and they're worried that it's gonna die. Um, you know, like uh, what was interesting about Southern California is where you are at in Southern California, and by what system you receive water, uh, it's quite different. Like uh, the people at Las Virginas and Calabasas, uh, they get uh, state water project water from Metropolitan, and they have no groundwater that they can use. And so, and where they are located in the distribution system, there's no way to get water from the Colorado River all the way over to Las Virgenes. That that kind of infrastructure doesn't exist. So they're kind of fed by the northern end of metropolitan system, which is you know State Water Project water and that's the one that has uh you know only health and safety water allocations this year um and then the the people on the fed by the Colorado River system which are on generally the southern and eastern uh sections of southern california so far don't have uh strict restrictions everyone has restrictions um but they're not as strict on the Colorado River uh yet, if you've been following the news on the Colorado River, it's very bad. uh Lake Powell, which is like the the one of the main reservoirs, is uh they really had to had the upper basin states have been putting more water into that lake to keep it above a level so it can produce hydropower. Uh, That's a real concern because that's a major source of hydropower to uh, Arizona and, you know, the other southwestern states. And Lake Mead, you know, is in bad shape as well. Um, It's down very low. So uh, I do think we're going to see things for the Colorado River in in terms of, you know, California's allocation. It's going to get pretty dire as well.
1: Chris, what are some of the, what's the kind of the worst that you've heard, the worst restrictions that you've heard so far? I mean, we've heard, we've, I've even seen flyers come out, right, and be posted on like the city, uh, you know, websites for residents of the city, um, come out from various water agencies and basically in bold letters underlined in an exclamation point at the end, it says we need to save water. Stop watering turf now.
2: Yeah, um, I've heard, the the worst that I've heard, although I haven't, you know, I haven't been digging down into the details of all the articles, but the worst I've heard is uh, one day a week, uh, eight minutes, a cycle, uh, only between like uh, 6 p.m. at night to 8 a.m. in the morning. Um, And if the water usage doesn't drop significantly. They'll, they might go to banning outdoor water use completely.
0: Well, what happens? So. What happens if, if do they distinguish between spray heads and rotors because they put down different precip rates? Eight minutes is not the same amount of water in, in, for both technologies.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna guess that it probably is not that specific, but I, you would have to you know look at the exact regulations or ordinance uh, that's being implemented to see how specific it got um but i mean the main goal is to you know reduce water usage a lot uh, you know we need to <laughs> some areas really need to conserve and you can't have people you know taking the attitude that they'll use as much as they want and they'll just pay more for it you know so
1: where I live, Chris, what they've said is basically, for our water uh, district, and I won't name, name who it is, um, but we're on the, uh, rather than only water one day a week, we're on a, we got to re- reduce our water usage by a certain amount. And I think they're still trying to figure it out, but the target, the key to target so far that has been discussed is 20%, which is which is significant for us in Southern California, If we're restricted to just one day a week and eight minutes per cycle, you might as well not water at all because you're wasting that, you know, you're not going to have green.
2: Yeah, it's just looking, it's just looking bad. Now in some areas where they have water budgets, you know, it's a little bit different way that these things apply. but yeah, it and it's it's kind of a different thing all all over. It's going to be a a pretty uh, tough year down there in Southern California. Now, what's interesting, what's also going on today, as we speak, the Coastal Commission is considering the Huntington Beach desal permit.
1: Oh yeah,
2: uh, and uh, we'll see. Now, this is turning out to be to be quite the story. Uh, the Desalination plant is controversial, as all desalination plants that go in are. Um, There's environmental concerns about putting the brine back in the the, uh, ocean. There's concerns about power usage, you know, because uh, they can be very energy intensive. And there's also concerns... Because desalination is expensive. There's just no no way around that and that can present a rate payers if rate payers have to pay high prices. You know, water affordability is becoming a big thing that's talked a lot about in our in the California water world. So the uh the staff report, the Coastal Commission staff report came out and recommended that the plant not be approved for uh, environmental concerns and environment, environmental justice concerns or rate payer concerns. And um, the governor kind of took an opposite position in a very public way and said that it should be approved because we need more tools in the toolbox. So I, you know, I think it's going to be a, a long day at the Coastal Commission. Uh, I'm well, sure big, they are still going a, there.
0: That's a big change for Newsom to do something like that.
2: Yeah, he's generally been considered to be environmentally, you know, friendly. Uh, and, uh, and But, you know, the thing is, Desalination isn't necessarily a, a a bad thing. I think you know. I think we are going to get to a point uh, in the future where we're going to need to have that in the toolbox, and for some coastal communities, it it might be the answer. I I think it's going to end up being the answer for uh, Monterey uh in that area because they they have to stop drawing water from the Carmel River and their groundwater basins can't support the population that's already there um and they're recycling uh water they're you know have all sorts of water recycling going on which is great but uh that's not uh that's not new water i mean they and they're not uh they have no connection to imported water. They're on no state water systems. so they don't have any other option. Uh, so I do think at some point we're probably going to see, uh, you know, desalination in in Monterey. Uh, they can work out the details, you know, and get everybody happy, or well, not happy, but get everybody on board. Um, you know, in here in Southern California, it's you know, it's another mixed bag. Uh, San Diego built their uh, desalination plant in Carlstad. It's very expensive, I think $50 billion. Um, and it's been in operation now. Uh, and it it supplies 7%, I believe. I've seen figures 7 to 10% of San Diego's uh, water supply, and that's it. You know, so it now that's helpful. <laughs> that's that's you know that's that's a substantial chunk, <clears throat> but it's also expensive. You know, yep. San Diego has some of the highest water rates in the state. Yeah.
1: Yep. So, Chris, so our listeners understand this is this meeting today, the the California Coastal Commission meeting. It's pretty. It's substantial. I mean, it's pretty weighty. The the decision today, really, as I understand it, Chris is really a, a go or no go kind of thing
2: right to, uh, yeah i i it's my I'm kind of my understanding this is this is the final hurdle uh, to, to go through so we'll see you know there are people down there arguing for it people arguing against it um I, again i'm not watching it and i'm not keeping tabs um uh, but you know it's it's a mixed bag it's a mixed Definitely a mixed bag. So we'll see, you know, what happens there. I well, you
0: know a couple of weeks ago we had a gentleman on from Arizona named Brian Hagaman. He was an inventor. He came up with a what he calls a thermal thermal engine uh, uh, to use that he developed uh, to do inland desalination and how he can get rid of uh, the salinity in the water and 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 uh, really minimize the uh, the excess stuff that goes back into the the ocean, as it were, and I know he's slated to do six mini mini desal facilities here in the Arizona area. And he said that it, 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 the, the cost is minimal, uh, and you can you can produce uh, a whole bunch of water with this thing. And you know, I, I I think you know, with with every crisis, people come up with ideas. and, and well, it's it's
2: about. It's my understanding that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but what he's doing is uh, cleaning up brackish groundwater.
0: Yes, that'll help do that that as well, yes.
2: Yeah, that is a much different thing than ocean desalination. It's a much more uh, environmentally friendly, in a sense. You have no ocean intake, um, and there's less stuff you have to take out, so it's not quite the energy hog. And um, and there's a lot of brackish groundwater basins that have just been deemed undrinkable that could be made drinkable by you know by um, inland desalination. So now you have to figure out what to do with that brine, but um it's but it's that's a it's much less brine that you have to deal with in right. Southern California. Um in to deal with the brine. And uh, the salt discharges in the Santa Ana Basin, they actually have a brine line. Uh right. where, you know, they, they send it down uh to the treatment plant, I believe Orange County treatment plant at the coast where they clean it up and, and discharge it from yeah. there. Uh but you were correct. yeah, but the you know, inland uh, brackish desalination is is a much different animal and uh, I I think People really don't have a lot of objection to it, you know. No, and, it,
0: and it immensely helps the ag, ag world, the agriculture world.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know.
0: So here we have a, a record with the snowpack.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well um yeah, I don't know the record. It's uh you know, we got we got some snow, um, you know, but uh it's it's still not looking good. We've you know, kinda of looking in at the reservoirs, they're getting a little bit of something, but you know, we're still in we're still in bad shape. You yeah. know. It's, it's just not good. So let me see, what else is interesting here? The big fight with Sigma? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, actually, there's a lot going on with Sigma. They had, uh, which is the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act for folks that aren't aware. Um, They, we have uh, the basins that have already submitted their plans to the Department of Water Resources, Uh, 12 of them have been deemed incomplete. So they have six months. To revise their plans and resubmit them to DWR by the end of July uh, so there's a lot of work going on uh, to get that done uh, it's uh, this is really where the the rubber starts to meet the road here or actually it has, it's actually meeting the road I should say at this point uh, Sigma was passed in 2014. And so there's been a lot of things, a lot of that has happened to get us to this point. And now we're to the point where people have to be cutting back. So people, you know, some of the groundwater basins have issued allocations, uh, you know, and this is something new for a lot of farmers, the, the, you know, They they never had a water allocation. They just turned on the groundwater pump, right, and paid the electricity to pump it up, and that was it. But, you know, now they have this GSA. They're told how much they can pump. They have to pay uh, for every acre foot that they pump, plus the power bill to pump it up. So it this is really it's really a hard thing. I mean, there's and there's just so much uncertainty for these farmers. uh, You know, how much water they're going to have moving forward. You know, and they're having to make some tough decisions uh, without really having a lot of answers at this point. So I do um, I do really feel for the farmers because it's very it's very concerning. They say as much uh as uh twenty percent of the farmland currently being farmed in the San Joaquin Valley may have to come out of production uh, that's a lot of land coming out of production uh, that the valley's gonna look very different uh, if that you know when that happens so. So there's a lot of attention on how to kind of figure out how to do this in a coordinated way so that, you know, it's like to to repurpose the land for habitat, but not, you need kind of, you know, one thing about habitat is it needs to be a size and it kind of needs to be connected uh, to other habitats. So. You need to be strategic about where you put that in. You know, you need to be strategic about recharge basins.
0: Yeah, I I think you're spot on, and and I think even Chris David will agree. It's going to be a stark reality for farmers. You know, um, aside from what do they do with their land? Do they decide or change their methodology of going to annuals planting instead of you know recycling different ones part of the year? Um, uh, you know, you got the trucking costs, uh, that, that add to the price of, of, of the vegetables. You've got, um, fertilizer issues that they can't get. (laughs) And, and all of this thing is just weighing, I mean, you go to the grocery store, it's, it's unbelievable what some of the prices are on everything in, in the markets. And even if they don't have them on the shelf, the prices are ridiculously high. I mean, regular hamburger thing, which used to be, you know, two, two, three bucks a pound, Base, the basic, you know, not, not the high-level, you know, 90% fat-free. I mean, you're, you're looking at like 8 $9 a pound for that.
2: Oh, and, yeah.
0: And vegetables are going up like crazy. Lemons. I, I bought some lemons for stuff I was drinking. I, I drink a lot of water, and they say it's good to put, you know, uh, mash up the lemons and everything. But, man, the you know, lemons are like a buck and a half a piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have lemon trees, but they're brand new, so I don't see much of anything. But, but it's really expensive. I mean, it's 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 going to be a stark reality for the, for the growers. Um, what are they going to do? Because if they they can't aside from the water. Even if they had water, the price of everything,
2: the transportation, everything. Oh yeah, it, and and the problems they're having at, uh, getting their uh, crops exported. Uh, yeah. Apparently, there's a lot of stuff down there at the port waiting to go out that hasn't gone out. Um, and, you know, it's not just groundwater management and it's not not just drought on the farmer, but there's other regulations, too, that are in the mix uh, that make it just really hard to be a farmer these days. Uh, it's more expensive with, you know, less, a lot less water.
0: Um, oh. Oh, this is kind of a fishy question to ask you because I know Chris likes, uh, Chris Davy likes uh, to do fishing. Um, but I understand there's a, this new, and I, and I only say that because you talked about when the rubber meets the road, uh, how there's rubber shavings or pieces of that in, 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 in lakes and waterways and that they creates like a toxic, and I don't know what it stands for, six PPD quine, quine known.
2: Yeah, some something. Yeah, yeah. bad for salmon, you
0: know. Yeah, it's supposed to be real dangerous and and all that. So, well, I, I wonder why the EPA. I'm not bagging on them today, but but how come these aren't controlled better? Doesn't well,
2: have responsibility for that. It's a new thing. Uh, you know, as we get better at being able to look for things, you know, better equipment, we, we're finding more things. Nobody studied it. Actually, this this came uh, around because uh, a group it was studying water quality in the San Francisco Bay. And they discovered uh, they were actually looking for microplastics. And they were looking through the microscope at all this water that they had collected and they kept seeing these little black squiggly things and they finally realized it was pieces of tire. Uh, but yeah, I don't think anyone has ever looked for that before. But, you know, if you think about it, you drive your tires, they the tread goes down. So where does all that Go. I mean, everything goes somewhere, right. right? So, unfortunately, and we're finding out more and more, uh, you know, where everything is is going. And you know, it's it's the news is not good, folks. Oh. Good.
0: Between that and Mercury, Mr. Davey, is that is all, all of this stuff that they're finding scary. Because I know you like the fish and and you eat fish. I do too, because uh, they say it's good for you. Does does that have does that weigh in your mind when you when you go get fish?
1: Yeah, constantly. And my colleagues
0: I talk to, people I fish with and we you know,
1: we go out in the the California lakes and the ocean and kayak fishing and stuff like that. It's a it's a concern. There's a lot of people with an eye and an ear on on all of these things. Um including uh you know, the, the decades old concern for mercury um mm-hmm. in the water, which is which is settling down a little bit, um uh, a little bit now from when it was really bad. <clears throat> Back uh, through the '60s and '70s and '80s, um, but definitely what Chris was saying about about uh, tire tread res- residual tire treads that that you're right, Chris. Where does it go? Right, 26 million cars in LA County, um, and uh, all of them driving around and, and wearing their tread down. Where does that rubber rubber go? So that concentration now is beginning to pop uh, its head up when uh, when you look. Uh, for other things, as you said, Chris, they were looking for microplastics, and they actually discovered um, rubber residual was uh, was very evident in the water. So, yeah, it's a concern. And now,
2: now they're working with the tire companies to get them to change their formulation. At at this point, they're looking for voluntarily doing it. You know, regulation takes a long time, uh, so if they can get them to To figure out how to not have this particular chemical in the tires, then uh, and they do that uh, voluntarily, it would be much quicker.
1: Yeah, well, there's no recycling in place for rubber tire uh, residuals, right? So residue, if if you will. Basically, what you you know, with everything else that's recycled, there's a process for doing it. Not with tires. We're letting Mother Nature do that, or or the elements do do that, essentially.
0: I believe that, I believe some some of that they use for road work that they, they they grind out and use the, to fill uh, uh, you know highways
1: and stuff But yeah they get that from discarded tires right or, yeah. or when, when people get new tires but I think what Chris is talking about is the wear from you know, the normal wear from from rubber now it is it is known uh, Chris and you're probably aware of this too that many of the larger tire manufacturers have for several for a couple of decades now. Been using more biodegradable rubber uh, material in uh, in tires, and and that's good. But they can't make it all biodegradable because your tires would fall apart as you drive on them.
2: <laughs> yes, that would be a problem.
0: Scary stuff. Well, we're coming up on our on our break, and uh, well, Chris, thank you very much for your insight on what's going on in California. I know, uh, even though I'm out here in Arizona, I still come back to, to California quite a bit, but it's it's really scary to think of all these things that are happening all at once, with the way the world is and what we're going through, and it's just another another thing to put on our minds to worry about. So, no shortage
2: of that
0: now, is there? No, not at all. So, our listeners, uh, to get more information about all of these things we discussed and more, please go to www.mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber. Uh, become a sponsor. It's a great place to get uh, updated. I mean, you get news that you don't hear on the TV or and if you hear it, you, know, you heard it first from, from, from Chris. So Chris, thank you very much for joining us and thanks for uh, staying with us on the four o'clock hour. We appreciate that. And, and again, I apologize for that, but I had no real control over that. <laughs> um, but, no problem. Uh, hopefully it'll work out well for you. So thank you very much and enjoy a, a nice dinner tonight.
2: All right. Talk to you next week. Have a great week, Chris. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye. All, right. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with uh, something a little unique for everybody. So stick around. We'll be back in just a moment.
3: KCAA Loma Linda, ten fifty AM, one hundred six point five FM, and now one hundred two point three FM.
2: you. They love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it. Instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass
3: on to your customers. And You can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip, keep a substitutions list on standby for every
2: project, so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock, because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you, they really love you.
3: If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Oh, well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes, a better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. eco products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fast-setting blue formula, 905-ECO, and a regular-bodied fast-setting clear formula, 900-ECO. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, After using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, Visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. K.C.A.A. All right, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone.
0: With am uh, Chris Katie and Rob Starr, I hope everybody's having a great afternoon. Hey, Chris, i got a question for you. You know, a lot of people follow what's called TikTok. You, you, I know you're familiar with that, correct? I am familiar with TikTok, yeah. So I thought we'd do something cute, and we're going to do something called Tip Talk. <laughs> kind of, <kind> of tongue twister. Because <laughs> I think our Tip would be better than the TikTok. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird content on TikTok, buddy. So uh,
0: absolutely, but we're going to stick with uh, irrigation. But I know you have some information that you wanted to pass on to our listeners.
1: I I did absolutely. So you know what's I'll tell you another thing that's interesting, Robin. We didn't get a chance to talk to talk to this for uh, benefit of our listeners at the, before the show starts. Um, I wish I did, but you know, I mean, now that we're two hours earlier, I've kind of been kind of right in the middle of my day job. <laughs> so. <laughs> So it's going to take a little bit uh, getting used to, and it and it did as we explained to our listeners. The last couple of weeks, we've uh, played some older shows because of the shift in time and and um, our ability to to uh, compensate for this time period. But we're all set now, and for our listeners, I think uh, the, the water zone. You're not going to see really any change in it. We're still going to have great guests. We're still going to have uh, Maven's Notebook. Chris Austin on for that, uh, right, Rob? So I mean, everything's
3: good, yep. buddy. Yeah, everything is good.
1: So what I was thinking about is we did a show like this, this Tip Talk, uh, last year at the same time. So we, you know, Rob, we may be starting a trend because this could be our annual Get Ready for Summer episode. What do you think?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) A lot of people don't know what to do. They're confused, and that's why they listen to us.
1: I know. It was pretty cool. So, um, listen, we got a couple of things to, to talk about, Rob, and thanks for you know, setting up some of the content for this, but we're going to talk some irrigation uh, tips, sprinklers yep. that is, and we're going to cover drip as well. The some do's and don'ts. Um, we're not going to miss out on controllers and valves, so we've got some tips on that too. And then, and then uh, we're going to start off. I think we're talking about some plants, right? Because that's sort of the sort of the impact on stuff. But just before, I thought I thought I'd kind of just briefly give a roundup on what what in Southern California we're, we're dealing with with the current drought, right? So, I mean, there's, as Chris was saying, there's a lot of stringent water re- restrictions that are coming into effect, especially here in Southern California, LA County, um, Ventura County, San Bernardino, Riverside, and and others. You're familiar geographically with, with the area, Rob. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we need... Just to make it clear, not just in California, but in all of the southwest and many other places in the west, I mean, just west of the plains, essentially, uh, even Colorado and the Dakotas and, and uh, areas like that are all experiencing uh, drought. But in California, we're in the, we're in the midst of what, what is essentially the three driest years um, in history right, as, as in terms of months of usual precipitation, right? We're just not getting that. So January and February, March. And here's a tip. Here's the first tip for those of you who want to learn more about the drought and how it's, a, how it's affecting uh, Western states, how um, there's a bunch of graphs and a bunch of charts and stuff, go to drought.gov. Uh, absolute terrific resource. Uh, Rob, I know you've been there yourself, right? Yep, absolutely. So the state of California declared, actually declared an emergency water shortage. That was back on April 26th. Um, and Metropolitan Water District, that's, uh, that's the, the auspices under which all this was done. Um, they have said, hey, in these states, I mean, sorry, in these counters, we can only uh, water outdoors once a week, and it has to be for eight minutes at a time per, per station. And you're right, Rob, that's not qualitative enough to, you know, to determine whether or not that's going to be effective depending on what sort of overhead uh, irrigation you've got. Now, it's also a a good note to point out that drip irrigation and hand watering are excluded from that, right? So I mean, that's, you know, that's one way of looking at it. And these emergency drought restrictions start in a couple of weeks on June 1 and it's going to affect 6 million residents here in southern california so there's a there's a few stats just to start looking at
0: oh that's good good place to get information and they update it regularly and uh, they have some good ideas on that thing and good knowledge for everybody to learn but as you said you know when people go out to, to start looking at it, and and i've been to your place your, your home and it is beautiful with not not only just regular vegetation but with vegetables and all kinds of other things and i mean you are a wonderful Gardener, you really have the passion and the, and the green thumbs for that. In fact, your whole head is green, <laughs> uh, but but you do you do a nice job and, and, and things. But you know, people go out and they do things, and one of one of the things they do is you know with figure tell people don't go you know don't go uh, buy a, a droopy looking insect infested sick plant unless the plant has naturally yellow or you know variegated foliage, and you can tell by the name where it says golden or, or variegated. Uh, the leaves should not be yellowing or 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 mottled because people don't know how to pick out plants. I mean, I go with my wife, and the ones I pick out, she says, "No, that's not good. You need these ones. Well, these have flowers. Well, no, I don't want the ones with the flowers. I want the ones that have the buds that are ready to blossom." And and she does a great job with what she does, and, and that seems yeah. to work. Yeah, the that's same... go ahead. Yeah,
1: that's
0: that's kind of that's plant vigor, I guess you can
1: put it. You know, how vigorous is the plant, right? Yep. What about size, Rob? What do you think, you know, should what, should what should people look at when they're looking at plants in terms of the size?
0: Well, a lot of people think that a big plant in a small pot is a good deal, you know, because you get home and you want to see these things flourish. And, you know, we, we built our house here and, and they stuck in these little small gallon plants. They look dinky to me. You know, I want to see big, big shrubs, big trees, uh, you know. They say you should pull the plant out of its container and be sure the roots fill the soil, but checking for circling or, or large bent roots. Several circles or circulars are okay if they're small, but a lot of them can create a problem that the plant will never outgrow. Small is better to start with, so they say. And, and I'm not the expert at that, but that's what the experts say. It's, it's going to grow, and you got to give it time, otherwise you think your yard is sparse. And, right. uh, you know, so it takes a little time. But there's yeah. also... There's also environmental needs. What do you, What do you comment
1: on that? Well, I'll tell you. You know, I mean, as a as an experienced gardener, I've had that sparse feeling, right? When you first start a garden, especially a native garden, you put these plants in their little dinky things, and it looks like yeah. oh, this is a little you you know puny garden here, <laughs> you yeah. know. But you got to take into consideration what that plant uh, is going to be when it reaches its mature size, right? And you got to accommodate that when you plant it, right? So you got to right. make sure it's got enough. It's got enough room. you got to make sure that you know what the water needs of that plant are, what kind of soil, uh, uh, and how it's going to thrive. Is it going to thrive in the soil that you've got, or do you need to amend that soil? You know, what about its shade requirements, sun versus shade requirements? Do you you put it in full sun, you know? Is it going to tolerate wind if you're in a windy place or frost if you're in a place where uh, spring and fall and winter you get, you know, you get frost? There's a lot of factors to think about, Robert.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and and how do people take care of these things? I mean, do they really do the job of maintaining it? How do you see
1: that? Yeah, often mm-hmm. people buy buy plants that get too large for their area, right? And then they end up, you know, over trimming them and killing them or just ripping them out um, uh, completely. Having a garden is not, you know, a, a, a set it and forget it kind of Right. You really have to put some thought into uh, the maintenance of that garden after, after it's planted. Not just the water needs and the stuff we were, what, you know, we were talking about, but, um, but the fact that consider how much time you have to dedicate to that
0: garden. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of things. I, I like the looks of guys uh, I just won't bite what, what you call it. Uh, they come in red and yellow, and they have thorns on them, and they grow. And they are good for barriers. Yeah, they keep people and pets away from from these thorny stuff. I guess you got to kind of know what you want. I mean, people plant trees and big bushes so they can't somebody can't see in their windows, or you don't want to see the neighbor's yard. I mean, there's there's reasons to pick what you're looking for. And and the best I found out because I am the least guy that you want to ask what to plant, and I go to some great big nurseries here that are are very good out here. And I get with somebody who really knows what they're doing and they, they show us what the best thing to do and, and, and the climate area. And and that's what I think people should, should look for when they first go, as as you pointed out, look for plants that are native to the area you're going to do. If you buy a plant that goes great in New Jersey and you live in California or Arizona, it's not going to do real well. Yeah, that's exactly right. You want to look, you know, we call it, um, we call it
1: uh, functional need of that plant, right? Are you, do you want this plant because it's going to look good in your garden, or "quote unquote" eye candy, right? If you want, yeah. if you want that, or or do you want it as an edible plant? Do you want it as just a you know a, a barrier foliage, as you um, as you said? You know, there's lots of reasons to pick certain plants, and and those are things you need to consider right, uh, before you uh, plant your garden.
0: Yeah, and if you go to a good nursery, I, I always I always tell people. Go to a good nursery, a reputable one that, that that people really know their business, and they can help you immensely, telling you how to feed it, what what kind of soil you need, uh, how to maintain it, and that's that's really the best way to go. I, I know that I'm not probably trying to put down a big box store, but you really don't get the people who understand nursery stuff.
3: And, that is,
1: that's I mean, perfect advice there. And not only that, you don't forget they'll save you money too. If you go to a nursery um, and you and you take their advice. They'll save you money.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they usually have a good uh, turn. Where if it doesn't, live, if it doesn't live or doesn't work out, you can bring it back and get credit for it. At least the ones here. There's one out here called Moon Nursery that's unbelievable, and they do a lot, a lot of work. In fact, they have a deal: you buy the plants, they'll they'll uh, they'll dig it in the ground for you for free. So that's that's pretty good. So you get an expert at that. Well, let's talk about let's talk about some of the things that are important. I mean, you you were talking about different ways of watering of this. And I think nowadays drip irrigation in at least the last couple of years has been to the top of everybody's list. And so we'll we'll kind of go through, I'll throw some things at you and you can throw some things at me about some of the problems that exist in in that. And let's start with a simple thing, like the plants, you know, you put uh, a drip system in, but the plants look really unhealthy. And what's the cause of that? And how do you fix that?
1: Well, I'm going to make a com. I'm going to make a, a retort to your last comment there. I'll try to throw things at you, man. But that's a long way from Southern California to Arizona, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one. And then the other thing you said about yeah, <laughs> right. And then the other thing you know you said about uh, about um, this uh, Moon Valley Nursery coming out and putting your dig your plants in. I'll put in a lot of plants, man. I wish I knew about that deal. Yeah, they're
0: real they good
1: at. The nursery I go to won't plant your plants for you.
0: Oh, um, good.
1: <laughs> won't dig holes and put them in for you. All right. So, so listen. Uh, drip, right? Um, if they look unhealthy, right? There's there's a couple of things. It's usually caused by just specifically not enough water getting to the plant or to the root zone, right? So, you you just want to watch your system to make sure that it's running right. Drip systems are great. They're great water saving. But they—they uh, they are again not a set it and forget it kind of thing. They take quite a bit of maintenance uh, because they're small orifices and things like that. They clog more easily than overhead spray systems. So you so you got to so you got to be careful. And your plant will be is the canary in the coal mine. It is the indicator that your drip system is not working pro- or something at that point saw, point source for that plant is not working properly.
0: Yeah. How do how do people learn? What what how much water they need to use to to, to water these things and and make make the drip because you can get the drips comes in different varieties from a half a gallon to you know two gallons per minute and things or or liters they do it in liters as well but how does someone find out about how much water they need to to water? Yeah, so depending on the plant you have, you can
1: find tons of information, charts aplenty. You'll get, you'll get tired of looking at all the charts for, you know, water application rates for certain plants and what sizes and, and you know, and all that stuff, right? <clears throat> so, um, you know, a basic rule I follow is a one-gallon container, um, uh, plant container uh, demands a, a one-gallon drip, right? So, so whether that's two half-gallon ones or one one-gallon one or whatever, uh, that's sort of a good general rule to follow. So one, ga- one gallon plant for, for you know the small plant when you when you put it in the ground. Uh, one gallon plant, one gallon dripper. Five gallon plant, five gallon dripper. Now beyond that, you don't have to go uh, gallon for gallon um, because uh, the plant starts to get more mature and doesn't require that initial grow-in water. But just as a general rule, one gallon plant, one gallon uh, emitter.
0: So does that go for the same as if you're doing a vegetable planter or, or yeah. it, it, people, people buy the, the tubing with the inline emitters versus yeah. the ones that you buy separately and just plug in?
1: Yeah, good stuff, I'm sure. Right. So and and I like that, too. In my vegetable garden, you, you've you seen it. I have the uh, I have the inline emitters in there. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and, and, you know, when I mean, we can talk for hours just on the different types of emitter and drip irrigation that's. Uh, Um, you know, that's out there. Uh, uh, But again, your plant is the, you know, is the indicator. And if you've got an interesting garden and an interest in your vegetables, you're going to be out there every day looking at them and watching them and taking care of them. So you'll, you'll know, it's sort of self-policing, Rob. Yeah. Well, hit me with a question. Okay. So, I mean, maintenance standpoints from, uh, you know, from drip, everybody goes and says, Hey, how, how can I, you know, what do I do when I, when I, Uh, When I see a problem, right, like leaks or holes or cuts or varmints in the neighborhood coming after your um, uh, drip system, you know, what are are some of the solutions? What are some things that people should look for in terms of fixing leaks and holes and cuts and emitters blown off and that kind of stuff?
0: Well, when the water, you know, you, you kind of see that like one side or one section is getting to be real dry. So water is not getting to the section of the yard. So you should check for leaks and breaks and and repair the leaks and breaks. And you really like any, like your car, you got to do maintenance on it. You can't just set it and forget it and walk away. You know, uh, even with pop-up sprinklers, you know, either either the homeowner or the landscaper comes by and mows off the nozzle and you don't know because it goes off at five o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night and you're in bed. And meanwhile, you got a 30 foot geyser going. So you, you really should check it on a routine basis. Um, Check to see that the valve is open and able to operate. Because sometimes it doesn't. They ensure that the entire system is operational. Maybe you have a, a bad diaphragm. Maybe you have a leak in that. There's only, only a couple things that could go wrong, or even the solenoid could be bad. You need to check that out. And also, a lot of people with drip systems don't regularly do the next thing. Check to see that the filter is clean, because yeah. water. That's... You know, if there's breaks or anything in the in the tubing or anything, or the water is not clean. It stops up the filter. And that reduces the flow and that those are yep. the top things that I see happen when uh, when you see plants that uh, start for a section of the lawn that's looking pretty bad yeah a quick a quick once a month check right just turn turn that turn
1: those drip zones on manually right that's your valve yep. with the with the heater valve or you can use it with your clock or if you're one of those tech guys and have, uh, you know, the clock that you can operate from your phone, do it from there, but just do a walkthrough, right? Essentially just go look and look and see what you can find. Most of the time when I do that, I find something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and going on that, I mean, there's also leaks at fittings. So what happens, what causes that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, bad glue joints, all that kind of stuff, um, hot weather, uh, uh, expansion, um, Somebody, you know, your kids or your dog walking in the garden, and the, you know they'll pull a, a stake out of the ground or something, and it'll and it'll pull one of the drip fittings out. There's a ton of reasons, but all of those things are the things you look for when you do that walkthrough and that monthly check.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, I, I've seen. I'm sure you have in your career, emitters being blown off on of a drip yeah. system. And one thing, people, I, I I didn't mention. Uh, I did not mention, but I think it's important. When you put a just drip system in, you really need to have a pressure regulator uh, put put on, and you also need to have a good metal filter in that. In that. So what do you do when the pressure's too high? It's a real simple answer.
1: Yeah, put a pressure regulator uh, uh, just downstream of the valve. Um, you know those those fittings and those that polyethylene tubing and those fittings are just push-in fittings, right? They're not meant. To, you know, it's not secure, threaded, or glued. Uh, fittings they're pushing fittings and all drip systems are meant to operate at a low pressure yeah what
0: the range is what 20 25 or 20 to 30 so in that range
1: yeah 15 to 15 to 30 psi you get above you start to get above uh 35 40 psi and you're gonna you're gonna start to routinely see drip uh fittings uh fail and pop off and especially in the hot weather when the when the pvc is exposed to the sunlight and it becomes uh, soft.
0: Yeah, and and you know the biggest common thing I see is no water coming out of an emitter.
1: Yeah, clogged. Uh, whether it's a drip line or or yeah. anything like that. I mean, you know, earwigs, uh, bugs, and stuff—they all look for water, and they're in your in your yard. And you know, they, they walk up to a drip emitter and say, "Ooh, look at that, free water!" Right? Oh my gosh, look at this, like frosty breeze. Um <laughs> So you always have to check for bugs and stuff inside inside your, your emitter.
0: Uh, you know the one the one thing you and I talked a lot about a lot is I we go out and see drip systems They buy the inline tubing um, Which you can get in a, 12 12 inches 18 inches 24 even custom uh, Yeah, okay, uh, yep. it's more money. but then but then they don't realize that they didn't put the spacing correctly They so need to choose that and then I see them add emitters to the line physically add and What do you think about that?
1: Yep. Well, I mean, that's all well and good as long as you got the flow to, uh, you know, the flow to take care of it. But uh, remember, even low-volume drip irrigation, right, consumes, uh, consumes water. And generally, the piping's not that big. So your available water is something you always got to keep in mind. And you don't want to exceed that available water. In fact, it's great to design with a 20% residual, right, With, with, with so you're not consuming all, all the water that's available to you.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think we did pretty good for uh, uh, yeah. tech talks. And, and uh, that'll leave us with the end of the hour for the uh, NBC News Hour. We thank everybody for staying with us and listening and joining us on our new hour. We'll be putting out uh, uh, a bunch of blurbs and spots to let everybody know that we switched to 4 o'clock. And we thank you for, uh, for sticking with us. So, Chris and I always want to tell you the most important thing to do is please help keep our planet, planet blue. And we will see you and talk to you next week. So you all have a great time, and please send in some questions for us, and we'll be glad to answer them. Chris, thanks for joining. Uh, right back. at the Rob. See you soon. And our listeners,
1: thanks for joining
3: us. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian